Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. Time to podcast. For you and me. What antiques were we talking about this week? I was watching clips of Antiques Roadshow, and wouldn't you know it, I was just so gosh darn charmed. So we're going to talk about self-pouring teapots. I am strapped in. I am fully on board for this. I am piloting the vessel. Let's go. (laughs) Just tell me where to turn the wheel, Captain. (laughs) What got my attention was an article following up the episode that just said, Viewers baffled by utterly pointless item. How very dare. Which is the moment I was hooked. (laughs) (laughs) The story starts in Manchester, England in 1850 with a man by the name of John J. Royal. Which sounds like a comic book character. I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) John J. Royalheimer Schmidt over here. It's not going to get any less fictional sounding. He was an engineer who started a foundry business to create metal objects that were largely the subject of his engineering skills. So you think like heat exchangers, radiators, industrial evaporators, and things of the sort. Sure. He was also an inventor in the typical Victorian fashion of throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks sort of inventing. Yes. He opened a showroom in Cock Lane on London. Of course. (laughs) Where else would you? It's the only place to go, really, is Cock Lane. Some of the things he invented were your typical trying to make life easier things, a timed egg boiler, a more useful egg beater, a lot of egg-based products. He's a good, good egg boy. He's a good, good egg boy. This is a man who liked an egg. Ain't no shame in that. (laughs) He sounded so indignant. (laughs) I'm standing up for the egg boys of the world. (laughs) The good, good egg boys of the world, US and beyond. This podcast is taking a hard pro-egg stance. And you know, we might lose subscriber for that, but it's fine. I'm not afraid to stand up for what I think is right. (laughs) Namely, my sister, who fucking hates eggs, but you know what? We'll just have to soldier on without her. You posted egg, you're going to lose subscriber. Then came the bright, beautiful year of 1886, in which he successfully patented the self-pouring teapot. It is a brilliant little bit of engineering that works by a simple pumping mechanism. Gotta love a simple pump. The invention was sort of framed around the idea of large families who had large teapots that were difficult to pour. Can't relate, but we'll trust. Yeah, a large teapot that had a tightly fitted cylindrical lid with a finial that had a small hole in it. The lid would be raised and then depressed with a finger covering the small hole in the top of the lid to generate air pressure within the teapot, which would expel the hot water through the tea leaves in a strain at the bottom and out to the spout. This sounds really familiar. Is it? I just have this bizarre sense memory of being like at a church fair or something and dispensing hot chocolate or what have you through like some kind of similar pump action mechanism. Huh. God, maybe I really am just a Victorian ghost, huh? I think you might be, my man. You just recovered a memory. The spout was curved in a sort of U-shape, drooping downward, so that the teapot did not have to be lifted. This was also thought to both enhance the flavor of the tea, and advertisements claimed that it saves 25% of tea, which I could not wrap my head around how that would be possible or what it was saving. Is it maybe more efficiently separating the liquid from the tea leaves? That's the best guess I've heard. (laughs) Do you know how to save 25% of tea? Write in antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. Save it from what? Vampires. As from my understanding, once the tea is in the pot, that is liquid and I can get it out anyway. Anyhow, it's not hard. No, can't. Huh. This whole time I've been losing 25% of the tea? Yeah. 
Your tea could have been 25% cooler. Oh my god. Get out of here, Rainbow Dash. (laughs) (laughs) Another question I have about the design of the teapot is, why does it have a handle? Because it's cute. You know it's a teapot because it has a handle and a spout. Can't have a spout without handle. Another compelling argument in favor of this. So there's a twist to this story. Is it a twist of lemon into the tea? God, we can only hope if they have any taste. (laughs) The humble beginnings of the self-pouring teapot was originally a gag. Like a whoopied cushion? Yeah, this was a bit that he was putting on. It's a funny bit. Listen, it's hysterical. (laughs) Gotta say, pretty good bit. Yeah, it was supposed to just be a goofy thing that he would give away as promotional items for industrial customers. People buying, you know, large metal foundry pieces. A fidget spinner, if you will, with his brand name on it. Like, basically? Or like a magnetic bookmark? Or, wait, what use would that even have? Yeah. Um... (laughs) What he didn't see coming was that it was going to be extremely popular, like, immediately. Oops, I accidentally invented something good. (laughs) Accidentally the whole thing, and did a good job. Accidentally the whole thing, but good he did. But good he did. So, jumping on this bandwagon, not one to shy away from it, he commissioned several thousand pieces of the self-pouring teapot, helpfully marked. Like, numbered? No, I, I just, I keep wanting to say J. Jonah Jameson, but they were marked, patented by John J. Royal. By John J. Royal Heimer Schmidt, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he was number one. So he commissioned several thousand ceramic copies from Dalton and Company of Burslem. And similarly commissioned thousands of Joseph Dixon and Sons of Sheffield in silver and silver plate. For whatever reason, the metal ones were just a lot less popular and nobody liked them as much. My suggestion is because they lack the fanciful designs of your standard ceramic teapot. One can only assume. In legend, they eventually became so popular that they are found with Queen Victoria. Yeah. And also the Princess of Wales and the Grand Duke Serg of Russia, which is not a royal post that I was aware of. Sure. I'm calling horse shit on this. I think a lot of products get away way too freely with saying that the queen uses and owns and loves it without ever providing any proof. Well, yeah, because like she's not going to fucking take time out of her day to deny it. She's busy <laughs> hating the poor. And God, does she hate them. I usually just kind of try to skim through the, the Victorian Albert Museum and see if they have anything in their archives that would suggest that maybe she did have something like that. Mm-hmm. And I could find nothing. So to that, sir, I say bullshit. I don't believe them. Pish tosh, we say. Pish tosh. Balderdash. This patent also was used to make wine decanters, which seem largely forgotten by everyone. Well, you know, drinking will do that. Wow. That's... Wow. Speaking of really good bits, thanks, Ken. You're welcome. One extremely good advertisement that I found advertises them as not only saying the spout cannot get choked. Fuck you, it can if it wants. Yeah, first of all... Don't yuck the spout's yum. That's shaming. And the subtitle to the self-pouring teapot is No more aching arms as this teapot has not to be lifted. Uh Uh-oh. Another advertisement also says Does away entirely with the drudgery of lifting the capital T, capital P, pot. This one also says saves at least 25% of tea or brews the tea proportionately better, which I'm getting kind of mixed messages. Why can't it do both? It's not saying it does both. It says that it does one or the other. No matter how you slice it, it does something. (laughs) This teapot is doing something to the tea, like without a doubt. Amusingly, that ad actually seems to be from a competitor, Payne Deal & Co. from Scranton, Pennsylvania. 
Ah, Scranton. Scranton, that's where uh, The Office is filmed. Sure is. I also found out that in England, they are referred to as Staffordshire Droopers. All right, let's see where this goes. It's followed immediately with a few other unmentionable names. I would like the names to be mentioned, though. Now I just want to mention the names. I want to mention them so badly, but I looked everywhere for the colloquial terms for these little teapots. And while I get the impression that someone is making fun of the fact that it's dick shape, I could not find anyone copping to the dick jokes that they were making about this teapot, which is disappointing. Do you have teapot-based dick jokes? Write in antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. Do you have a really funny name for the Sheffield Drooper? Write in antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. One thing I was really surprised to find is that these are, despite being basically the coolest thing I've ever seen, they're not in super high demand. The upper tier of cost I'd seen these go for is like a hundred to two hundred dollars, which for like a fine china teapot is actually not a lot. Yeah, that's pretty good. The one that was featured on Antiques Roadshow was a quote, according to our specialists here, worth a hundred pounds of anyone's money, which is the funniest <laughs> way to say that that I've heard all day. And a lot of them uh, going through the sold listings on eBay's eBay's. Oh my god. The age, it's coming, it's catching up to me. When you do it, eBay's. <laughs> what, what is that? That was the eBay commercial they play like nonstop. I have no memory of that place. Did you own a television in the early 2000s? Okay, um, I'm probably the only person who doesn't remember this. Conversely, I might be the only person who does and everyone listening <laughs> thinks I'm a crazy person. Which one of us is correct? Is Ken having a weird nightmare memory flashback or... Or did I forget an extremely catchy part of advertising history? Vote now, antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. Despite being a delight of the whimsical Victorians, unfortunately, the self-pouring teapot didn't last much longer than the 1920s. Aw, boo. I assume because of the minimization of tea as a part of mealtime ritual. In America. In America, yes. Why'd it die out in Britain, then? Kettles. They had kettles the whole time. That's a wild guess. I have no idea why they died out in Britain, because obviously the culture was around tea is different there. If you're British, tell me why. <laughs> Ain't nothing but a heartache. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. You're just busting them all out today. Could you actually recognize that tune? Yeah, for once. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was mean. True, though. (laughs) Although you probably did grok the stunned silence where my brain was trying to catch up with what it was. (laughs) So, like, don't get... Don't quit your day job. This is in A key, if I can just figure out which one it's supposed to be. <laughs> don't, don't quit your day job or anything. Because <laughs> there was still a gap, but... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, finding that out made me extremely excited because that means that I am now hunting for one. So how do you spot these in the wild? Binoculars. That's a good way to spot anything. Thanks, Ken. You're welcome, citizen. <laughs> Fucking goofs on goofs today, man. Most reliably is the unusual spout shape. If the spout is a U-shape downturned, and it looks like if you tried to pour it normal, it would be a nightmare, that's a good sign. Now, based on the earlier um, unspeakable nicknames, would I be right in saying you could recognize this by it probably being the only teapot in the store that looks like a dick? It looks like a dick that hasn't quite gotten started this morning, yes. I feel like that's going to be key. (laughs) Perhaps a cold shower dick. Rinsing off after the pool dick. A shrinky dink dick, if you will. (laughs) Shrinky dink. It's a shrinky dink. It is. The original shrinky dink. So the Antiques Roadshow presenter that called the teapot utterly pointless, called it utterly pointless because you could just tip it and pour it. 
And I'm wondering, like, if she does an awful lot of drugs, because I keep looking at the shape of it and thinking that the last thing I would want to do is pour it normally. <laughs> For one thing, it's a giant penis. <laughs> For one, well, <laughs> at the angle, all it would do is dribble onto itself. Like a giant penis, yes. Like- <laughs> This turned into one of our most phallic episodes yet. We have an explicit tag for a reason. Yeah, I don't know. I I think that that's lacking in imagination or, I don't know, experience of tilting a spout. It's entirely possible the British are just on a completely other level of tea pouring that we haven't yet even begun to comprehend. Are they like tea benders? Like, this isn't a trouble for me. This spout could be any shape. I would pour it. (laughs) Another way to identify them is that their lids are actually a little bit taller. Um, because they are housing an entire, like, semi-solid cylinder on the inside. And they always have big decorative finials, which is where the hole is so you can put your finger to generate the air pressure. And I'm not saying other teapots don't have finials. I'm just trying to help here get off my back. (laughs) It would mostly be a combination of the unusual height, the downturn spout, and a prominent finial with a hole on it. And the general penis-y appearance. (laughs) So yeah, uh, if you see these in the wild, please let me know so I can immediately fly out to your location and go buy it. And that is that on the self-pouring teapot and how I finally got taken in by the Victorian sickening whimsy. Huzzah! Sources for today include, you'll never guess, royalsteapot.co.uk. Who could have foreseen? Antiquesatlas.com, Victorian Dalton Royal Self-Pouring Teapot. And, another shocker, antiquesandteacups.info. Did they have info? They had an awful lot of info, and I do now follow them on Facebook. Lovely pictures. Yay! If you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly, antiquesweekspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiquesweeks or you can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesweeks.tumblr.com. If you liked us calling teapots silly willy names, consider scrolling on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leaving us a review of other phrases you'd like us to never say again. We received a lovely review recently from O'Malley. Titled, Very Happy for This. Aww. It's hard to have a discussion sometimes about antiques, but slowly the joy and interest is coming back strong in the world. I have always loved antiques from history to having the treasure hunt feel at a flea market. This podcast is relaxed, informative, and shows the growth of the hobby slash lifestyle. Thank you, O'Malley. That was very sweet. Aww. Thank you. O'Malley, you're a real one. And if you need more Antiques Freaks in your week, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where every week we produce a bonus episode for patrons only, featuring us reading and reviewing a chapter of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right. You. Au revoir. Goodbye.